my stray thoughts tonight, um, manure, the manure of Bodhi. The One of the things that I found really beautiful about the path of meditation uh, is that um, our difficulties are our path. And it, it is a unique human capacity uh, that uh, our difficulties become the cause of of an increasing can become the cause of an increasing sense of happiness and well-being. It's uh, unique. As I was sitting tonight, I was thinking about every single person I know. I couldn't think of one person, including all the people who. I only know superficially at a distance, those who are nearest and dearest. Every person I know is damaged. Every person I know has been blown by the winds of circumstances, has been um, in some form or another uh, traumatized. In some phase of their life, they've stopped breathing well, stopped feeling thoroughly, and uh, out of love for themselves, out of love for ourselves, we have tried all measure of distractions (laughs) and escapes and have uh, exhausted ourselves, have burnt ourselves out, and yet what persists in the middle of all of it is this this undying desire to be happy, to be well, no matter what. And that there is something in our nature, I'll call it Buddha nature or awakened nature, that keeps calling us, calling us, uh, somehow or other, calling us back to ourselves. And just our our capacity to hang in there suggests that we are not just um, just tells you everything you need to know about the fact that we are not stuck with what's happened to us in fact it is the what's happened to us that is very often the fuel that drives the the urge for deliverance the urge to awaken out of the the turmoil that um, tends to pervade most of our lives in some form or another. Not that there isn't a lot of pleasure, beautiful sense experiences, all of that happens in the midst of it, but everyone, some measure of our being is burdened by, uh, by some kind of damage. And that damage is... Partly our own, our own, um, um, our own expression of the three poisons that the Buddha talks about: greed, hatred, or ignorance. We have our own personal, but most of our most of our damage is made up of 
non-personal influences through no fault of our own. Born into this world without, uh, not really, um, it's not our fault. Uh, born into circumstances, not of our own making, didn't have to be this way. Well, it is this way because that's how it is, but really just the, the fact that your parents met, had, a, had the hots for each other, couldn't control themselves, and out you, out you came. And then just think what they brought to the table. They brought, they were here victims of the same collective karma, the same non-personal influences driving that. From, from beginningless time, we are caught in this, this net of, of causes and conditions that have then formed our, our lives, and then we, we get to have our own versions of, I said, greed, hatred, and ignorance, and then hopefully we, we, um, we inevitably will pass some of it on to the next generation. But the, I say all these things not to create a pessimistic view about our, our situation, but to, it, to me, my comments are completely hopeful because they um, because our difficulties become our path, and that in fact, the heart of the Buddha's teaching is freedom, the freedom to be, not just the freedom to, as I spoke about last week, the essence of awakening to our our deepest nature, our unborn, our con- unconditioned nature. That's one aspect of it. The other aspect is that our difficulties become, if met with that light of awareness, becomes, become, our difficulties become the cause of an amazing transformative process, a creative process of change that, uh, that helps us moment by moment, if we really take it to heart, helps us step out of that stream of distress, that endless or beginningless stream of distress that keeps us bound on a wheel of endless endless becoming, endless, endless searching, endless struggling, endless reactivity that helps us step out of that. Our difficulties, bec- difficulties become the uh, cause of, of freedom. And that freedom is the freedom to express, increasingly, express our nature as it is um, it, it's at its greatest capacity. So it's not just, as much as I talk about it, it's not just awakening to the pure, pure awareness, to the pure knowing, that aspect of your nature that is already free. The very consciousness through which you're perceiving, awareness through which you're perceiving right here in this room right now has never been born and never died. And is not, it is free of all the, the damage that visits. Your own mind is already free. Now, it's great to know that. 
and that's a it's a it's a um, it's the heart of the it's the heart of the teaching. But perhaps an even more important heart of the teaching is that when we when we awaken this heart of awareness, this light of awareness, we also begin to transform all of our difficulties. And the Buddha spoke very clearly about what our potential is if we cultivate the habit of awareness, the habit of presence, the habit of of, um, using our life as our practice. He described it in a list. I have it with me tonight. And I can't really elaborate tonight entirely on this list. I want to actually elaborate on another list that to me is the a slight hybrid version of this list, but the list is the ten paramis or the ten perfections, the ten, the ten qualities of being, aspects of being that, in the course of our practice, become refined and perfected, and they are the expressions, and the they are both the path and the expressions of an awakened heart. First one is the spirit of of generosity. Generosity can gladden the heart, bring tremendous joy. It is something that we, that we um, can be very much bound up in, in fear, in worry, in miserliness, in, um, in stinginess, in um, scarcity. And this quality, if we, if we develop it, it can widen our circle of, of sharing to, there's, to the point where there is nothing that we would hold, hold on to, that, that we would not consider anything our own, and that the spirit, the natural, spontaneous expression of the heart would to be just to give freely from a place of strength and balance, not as a, from a place of abandoning ourselves. So the spirit of generosity... The spirit of, of, of morality, the perfection of morality, sometimes called the bliss of blamelessness, when we practice non-harming, can be developed, our speech can become uh, non-harming, our, our actions can be non-harming, our thoughts can become non-harming to the point where we experience such joy because we're not leaving trails with our thoughts, words, and actions. This is our capacity. It's a matter of applying this amazing quality of awareness, attention, with all its qualities of intelligence and discernment and all the many qualities that flow from it to the domain of our life of morality. It's amazing. Your life can turn into uh, an ornament. To It can have a, a fragrance of fearlessness, and fearlessness meaning that nobody has to be afraid of you, that you can be a safe refuge, a safe harbor for others because you are trustworthy. And you can say things, do things, and you know that, um, that your actions are motivated uh, by, um, not motivated by the cause, of, by the intention to cause harm, but by love, by caring, by a deep appreciation that you uh, 
that your actions uh, affect not only you, but they affect everyone. Whatever affects everyone affects you. So the perfection of dana, sila, that's sila is the morality. The perfection of renunciation, perfection of wisdom, deep wisdom of interbeing, of suffering and the end of suffering. And these are just talks all on their own. The perfection of energy, where we develop our, our, um, our vital energy, care for our organism to such an extent, given the limitations of our body, but care for ourselves in such an extent that we, that our energy and care for our hearts and minds well enough that our energy is freed to, um, to function in a really optimal way where our mind has, we have mental strength, we have physical strength, we have health and the capacity to bear life to, and to accommodate the difficulties of our life with balance. And that, go, that's, Another one of the, the paramis or perfections is the perfection of equanimity, a development of a heart and a mind that is as wide as the world, as strong and as mountain-like. And all of this is fulfilled by using our difficulties as our path, using whatever it And really, in the most immediate sense, what it means to use our difficulties as our path is we use our difficulties as our object of attention, as our object of love. And what does that do to us? It brings us into real time. It brings us into present time. The more we enter into present time, into real time, open to our life, open to our hearts, open to our bodies, open to our minds, just the way they are, just as they have come to be in this moment, You've heard that expression, yata bhuta, things just as they are, just as they have come to be. If we do that, our, our heart opens, our mind opens. We reclaim this capacity to be open and empty. And emptiness is a fertile ground of creativity. Emptiness is our capacity to be completely open. Free, free to be, free to respond, free to grow. If we are completely bound up in the stream of distress, unaware of what's happening or how to be with it, unable to actually be attentive to what's going on, we continue to be just carried on that samsaric stream, that stream of endless wandering. But every moment of awareness expands the space of create of creative possibility and in that space with awareness come comes all the qualities that flow from awareness ones i mentioned already dana sila or generosity morality ethics renunciation where we clearly see that to just to spin out in if we're present we see the effects of just spinning out and feeding the wanting mind, feeding the the um, feeding that that sense that I have to have everything, I have to become everything, I have to get everywhere, I have to do every. We we start seeing the limitations of a mind that's continually topple, toppling forward into uh, into our imagination, into a future that never arrives. 
We see the limitations of that. And we begin a practice of renunciation. This is what happens when we're present. You see what a mess you are. And then you start to do something a little differently. And renunciation then becomes a joy. As Suzuki Roshi put it, renunciation doesn't mean you give up the things of this world, but you understand that they go away. So you stop grasping so tightly at things that are impermanent. And that includes your own mind and body. Stop grasping at things that give you only fleeting satisfaction and then lead to lead to uh, a feeling of having to have more. I know I've shared many times here that line from Hafiz where he says, uh, learn to recognize the counterfeit coins that may buy you just a moment of pleasure but then drag you for days like a broken man behind a farting camel. Renunciation's easy if you see that you're like a broken person behind a a farting camel. It's, it's the natural expression of, this, of the openness of awareness, the capacity to see clearly. And then there's uh, what's called, uh, oh, there's, I talked about virya or energy, developing, building our energy system, especially mental energy. The energy that comes from connecting with this moment over and over and sustaining that connection, bringing ourselves here again and again and again, tremendous mental strength. And with it comes, we recover our vitality because we're present is what makes, what, what is it that Nisargadatta says? Reality is what makes the present so vital, so different from past and future, which are merely mental. So we, just by being present, you get, you start to, come alive. The light comes into the eyes. The the cells begin to say, yeah, I'm here. We start to feel a satisfaction, not for what we have, not for what we're getting, but because we, what we are. I'm satisfied right now. Because I'm here. Just a sense of existence, as Thoreau puts it. He says, no run on my bank can drain it. For my wealth isn't possession, but it's enjoyment of being. Then there's Kanti. How can we ever... How can Kanti is the word for patience. Another one of the perfections. How can we ever be... Patience is a form of ill will. It's aversion to how things are. We get... You know, let's get, let's get on with it. It's it's aversion, and that just if we're caught in aversion, caught in aversion, there's no end to the the leap forward to how things have to change in order for me. How that person has to finish talking in order for me to be happy, <laughs> or whatever it is. But patience comes when we we see that things are as they are. We feel the pain of of being so dependent on, on circumstances for our sense of ease and relief, hostage to how the world shows up or how people show up. Patience means we've seen things the way they are and they unfold according to the way they do, not according to my will or wish. 
that our own mind and heart is not so governable, let alone somebody else, let alone the world. So we develop patience. All this happens with using our difficulties, using our state to bring us here. And this transformational process happens. We start to develop. Then there is truthfulness and honesty. Comes, we start to, the more present you are, the more you feel so, excuse the expression, so shitty if you don't tell the truth. If you lie to yourself or lie to anybody else, you feel like you know what. Feel terrible. You feel contracted, burdened, looking over your shoulder. And truthfulness, it just gets clarified. You really look at yourself. You feel the effects of it. That becomes the cause of not wanting to carry the burden, wanting to have that bliss of blamelessness, that bliss of truthfulness. As uh, Ashvagosa, I think in the, I think he's from the seventh century, he says, says the Dharma of the Buddha doesn't require a person to go into homelessness or resign from the world. The Dharma of the Buddha requires every person to free themselves from the illusion of self cleanse one's heart and give up one's thirst for pleasure and lead a life of righteousness. And whatever people do, whether they remain in the world as artisans, merchants, officers of the king, or retire from the world and devote themselves to a life of religious meditation, let them put their whole heart into the task. Let them be diligent and energetic. And if like the lotus flower, which grows out of muddy water, but remains untouched by the mud, they engage in a life without cherishing envy or hatred, and if they live in the world not a life of self, but a life of truth, then surely joy, peace, and bliss will dwell in their minds. All about truthfulness. And then, in order to do all of this, you need the quality of aditana, which is determination, Resolution. You have to be resolved to go against the stream of your unconsciousness and your conditioning, to face yourself, to open to how hard it feels, and let your, let your breath come back into those places that you have ignored or shut down. Learn how to inhabit your body again, how to just stay with yourself moment by moment by moment. And know when it's the time to distract yourself. Know when it's time to check out. But by and large, having much more of a firm value to stay present. It doesn't mean you turn your life into a torture test, but you have a general value of, of staying with what's happening. How do you feel? What's the state of your heart and mind right now, sitting in this room? Can you just feel that without moving away from yourself? See, see what happens. See what happens to your suffering when you just let yourself feel, even if whatever you're feeling is painful. Finally, the last two are, are the quality that grows from a present heart. Are the first one are the these last two are the the immeasurable qualities that flow, the immeasurable quality of metta or loving-kindness. If you really face your own damage, it has, 
your own version, and I say every one of us, you inevitably, it inevitably will tenderize your heart. Whatever, whatever in our mind turns into blame and demand and distraction turns into love and compassion. And then finally, if we really pay attention to ourselves, what grows what, as our capacity deepens to be with ourselves, what grows is the, the last of the boundless qualities, the immeasurable qualities, the last of the Brahma-viharas, the heavenly abodes, the culmination of, the, of all the great lists of the Buddha, the seven factors of enlightenment, the eightfold path, the ten paramitas that I'm talking about is the quality of equanimity, of serenity, of balance, the capacity to meet the joys and the sorrows without grasping or aversion, to be able to sit in the middle of things with a heart as wide as the world, with that grandmotherly love that uh, loves as everyone and everything, but knows that the capacity to control everything is very limited. So we let go. We let go a little, we get a little peace. We let go a lot, we get a lot of peace. We let go completely, we get complete peace and freedom, as Ajahn Chah puts it. So I was motivated to talk about this because I stumbled on a beautiful passage from Nelson Mandela. that uh, lists his own set of paramis, things that he, things that became purified in his heart from his incarceration. Quote, you may find that the cell is an ideal place to get to know yourself, to search realistically and regularly the process of your own mind and feelings In judging our progress as individuals, we tend to focus on external factors, such as one's social position, influence and popularity, wealth and standard of education. But internal factors may even be more crucial in assessing one's development as a human being. Honesty, sincerity, simplicity, Humility, purity, generosity, absence of vanity, readiness to serve your fellow human beings, qualities within the reach of every soul are the foundation of one's spiritual life. At least, if for nothing else, the cell gives you the opportunity to look daily into your entire conduct to overcome the bad and develop what is good in you. Regular meditation, say for about 15 minutes a day before you turn in, can be very fruitful in this regard. You may find it difficult at first to pinpoint the negative factors of your life, in your life, but the tenth attempt may reap rich rewards. Never forget that a saint is a sinner that keeps on trying. So any of you who have pens, I want to offer again 
Nelson Mandela's, I think it's eight paramis. <laughs> Honesty. Sincerity. Simplicity. Humility. Purity. We've talked about honesty, telling the truth. We've talked about uh, that sincerity, a kind of desire to, to, um, to be authentic, to, or the act of being authentic. And that's really about, it's another aspect of honesty, sincerity. Simplicity is realizing what, we, what do we really need to be happy. Not much, since happiness is your natural state. As Nisargadatta put it, all search for happiness is misery, leads to more misery. The only happiness worth that name is the natural happiness of conscious being. Simplicity, humility. And if we pay attention, how could anybody continue with the pride in youth, as the Buddha talked about it, the pride in youth, pride in health, pride in life. These things are, these things are vulnerable, unreliable. We are completely unreliable. Un- we're vulnerable. Even the Buddha was vulnerable. <laughs> Just think about it. He didn't say, I'm going to, even sitting under the Bodhi tree, you get this, view, the ver- this vision of this impervious creature. But what did he have to do in order to withstand the forces of Mara? He had to touch the earth. He was so he he knew he wasn't he couldn't do it alone. He needed the earth. He needed nature to support him. We're all bound by the by the laws of nature. We're all dependent. It's not about being so pumped up and thinking it's I, today I was thinking about about being pumped up and inflated or deflated. They're both egotistical. But the inflated, I, I think about some of the, you know, there was one politician. I won't even name him. But uh, what was said about him is that he was, he was born on third base and thought he hit a triple. This is... This is, this is the delusion of, this is the opposite of humility. This is, this is egoism. Thinks that you think that you've done it all by yourself. Nobody has done anything by themselves. We can certainly take credit for our, our wise actions, our loving actions, all of that. But know that even, even that which seems most individual could not have happened, uh, independent of all the factors, all the circumstances, all the support, all the teachers, all the, all the, everything has conspired to help us be the way we are. So that, that, so egoism is delusion. So to developing humility, that's, to me, that's a, egoism is insanity. Yet we all fall into that, that pride. 
purity. I talked about purity of action. But uh, the Buddha also talked about purity of mind. Learning that we all have this capacity to have purity of mind, which means a mind that's not moving, that stays steady, that's here, that's unified, that's whole. And the effect of that is our body becomes whole too. And it becomes calm. Our heart starts to ease. And we, with that comes a lot of clarity. And that with clarity, we get purity of view. So purity of view means you really see things the way they are. And what is it, in the Buddha's teaching, what does purity of view mean? It means seeing that everything arises and passes. To try to hold on to things that change brings suffering. To let go brings freedom. And that things are happening according to their own laws. They're not, they're not me, they're not mine. Even our own body is not ours. Last few, generosity was one of his, absence of vanity. That ties into all the other kinds of egoism. And the readiness to serve. That's very similar to wise understanding, that we don't exist independently apart from each other. So I just don't want to leave you uh, with just the idea that just be aware. It's a, it's, that's its own teaching, but there are... There are jewels, there are fruits to being aware. There is this open creative field that is available to us to turn our hearts toward, toward um, beautiful qualities that every single person here has. And we, are all, we're all, we all have the same capacity as any, as any Buddha. Don't forget it. So I think I'll end... Since, the, since Nelson Mandela ended with the readiness to serve others, I'll, share, I'll end with the poem, and this is, will be our way of sharing the blessings tonight, sharing the merit, sharing the benefits. Uh, the prayer that the Dalai Lama uses every day during his own sadhana, his own practice. May I become at all times, both now and forever, a protector for those without protection, a guide for those who have lost their way, a ship for those with oceans to cross, a bridge for those with rivers to cross, a sanctuary for those in danger, a lamp for those without light, a place of refuge for those who lack shelter, and a servant to all in need. So may our practice tonight and every day be dedicated to the welfare of, of all beings, including ourselves, and a deep wish that all beings can be free. So thank you. Sorry, no time for comments, questions tonight. I'll try to make up for it next week. Uh, reminder, as always, that of our Donna basket, our room costs us 150 a week. Uh, any help with the room rental is deeply appreciated. Teaching is offered freely. Any help with the, uh, practicing to support the teacher, whoever it is, whether it's me or someone else here, also deeply appreciated. Thanks in advance for your 
all generosity on all levels. And please be generous every which way in your life. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.